Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copies of the scripture to Psalm 29, our text for today. The entire psalm will be the text. As you're turning there, you'll recall that we've finished up our study through the life of David. It's my intention to preach a series of topical sermons for a, a short time. And then we'll resume a study through a, a Bible, likely one of uh, the New Testament books, either a gospel or one of the epistles uh, in the New Testament. For, but for now, I'll be preaching some topical sermons uh, today related to uh, the events that we are seeing take place throughout the world. From Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple... Everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we witness through the media so many catastrophic events that are happening throughout the world, our minds undoubtedly ask the question, why? What is happening? Why are these things taking place and who is doing this? We thank you that your word teaches us that you govern all matters in your creation, that you reign from a throne in heaven, that your voice declares all that comes to pass, and all your holy will is being worked out. And yet, Father, we see so much calamity and wonder why. We pray that as we look into this passage today that you would answer these questions in our minds, that we would be humbled even considering to question your work being done, Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to trust you in the midst of calamity. Help us to understand that these things are for the good of your people, for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom, that your son's name would be glorified on earth as it is in the heavenlies. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, brethren, much has happened over the past two weeks. Hurricane Harvey arose in the warm waters off the Gulf of Mexico and came ashore in Houston, Texas. 
A cyclone of equal or greater strength came ashore in India and Bangladesh, displacing an estimated 150 million people. A magnitude 8.1 earthquake shook a large portion of Mexico, killing more than 50 persons. This earthquake occurred shortly after Tropical Storm Lydia struck the Baja Peninsula of Mexico and just before Hurricane Katia came ashore in Mexico on the Gulf Shore. And as you know, the devastating news continues. This morning, Hurricane Irma is coming ashore in Florida, having swept over Cuba and much of the Caribbean, and is expected to travel north along the western coast of Florida today and tomorrow. And if these events were not enough, Hurricane Jose is just now entering the Caribbean on a path similar to that of Hurricane Irma. It is a Category 4 storm, and it's strengthening. To what do we attribute these monumental catastrophic events? Well, the spectrum of possibilities ranges from bad luck to the providential hand of God. And as you can imagine, I believe this is God's mighty handiwork. I have chosen Psalm 29 as our text because it gives us insight as to why God brings such devastating events into the history of his creation. I've also chosen this psalm because my dear friend Lou Vega in Houston goaded me to preach from this psalm today. Before we begin looking at the text before us, I want us to contrast our text with a favored notion of God that came out of the so-called Enlightenment, known as deism. Deism asserts that God created all things, but after creating all things, removed himself from the governance of his creation. The analogy is that of God being a great clockmaker who wound up the clock he created and is letting it run its course. That is a false notion of who God is. And today, as we look at Psalm 29, we'll see how false that notion is. You'll see that this psalm does not sound like God is a disinterested creator. On the contrary, hear the inspired words of King David as he reflects on the person and the voice of the Almighty God. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory! The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. 
The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Brethren, as we endeavor to make sense of the seemingly chaotic circumstances throughout the world, we must never lose sight of or diminish the importance of God's mighty providential hand in all these events. This, I believe, is the emphasis of David in Psalm 29. Our passage has three distinct parts. Verses 1 and 2 are a summons to the mighty ones of the earth to worship. Verses 3 through the beginning of verse 9 are a rehearsing of the might and power in the voice of God. And then parenthetically at the end of verse 9 is a reaction of God's creatures to the previous six verses. And then lastly in verses 10 and 11 are the words of comfort for God's people in the midst of God's mighty hand of judgment. So before I go through these things, I've been admonished, and rightly so, to put emphasis on God's graciousness in the midst of these things. Too often, I guess I I, uh, speak of God's judgment and less of his grace and his mercy. Today I'm going to endeavor to be, um, to give both, to give weight to both, as the psalmist does here. Verses 1 and 2. Notice what God says through his servant David. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Before David goes into God's mighty voice in judgment, he says, pause, you've been summoned into the presence of the living God to worship him. Gather, you mighty ones, in his name and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Brethren, there is no pretense in King David's first two statements All mighty ones are to assemble before God, the Lord, for worship and to ascribe to him alone glory and strength. Who are these mighty ones that David speaks of? All men of power and authority throughout all of creation. Why else would God mention Lebanon, Kadesh, Syria, and the great deluge that covered the whole earth? The entire earth is obligated to bow before the Lord the King and ascribe to him alone glory and strength. This will become important as we look at the verses 3 through 9. Remember what we've just sung in the Ten Commandments. The first three of the Ten Commandments speak to us very clearly as to God's utter unwillingness to share his glory with anyone or anything. Our Lectio Continua today from Exodus 32 shows God's displeasure. He was ready to destroy all Israel because they worshipped a golden calf. And absent Moses' intercession on their behalf, he was not prepared to relent. But because he is a covenant-keeping God and Moses reminds him of that covenant, God relents. God has told us, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols for worship, and you shall not take my name in vain. And those commandments are not just to us, his chosen people, 
that's to the whole world. That's what our confession teaches us. That is what we are to believe. God is asserting in these first two verses of our text that he expects almighty ones to bow before him in worship. There is no exceptions and there are no excuses. They are all to bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. So what about we lesser ones? Which among us are the mighty ones? I would say few, if any. But what about the lesser ones? Since we're not mighty and we're not powerful, is this a psalm to us? Is this commandment for us? Rather than most assuredly, if the greater ones are obligated before God to honor him and worship, certainly the lesser ones are likewise obligated, you and me. Who owns the world? Who owns all that is in it? Does not the Lord? And aren't we all obligated to come into his presence, ascribing to him glory and strength? Notice, too, that worship requires giving or sacrifice, sacrificing to God, that is. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory to his name. Brethren, worship is not primarily a place to receive something from God. Worship is primarily a time and a place to offer to God a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 speaks of the sacrifice of praise. And that verse is a reiteration of Psalm 27, 6, as well as Jeremiah 17, 26, and Jeremiah 33, 11. God expects a sacrifice of praise. He delights in it, as we see in the last two verses of our passage. Brethren, my dear friend Lou Vega says of these two verses, these first and second verses, all rational creatures are commanded to worship Jehovah, especially the Gentile rulers. For they are the ones who ignore him. Why must we worship Jehovah? Why must we do that? To even ask the question is likely an offense to God. God is our creator. All men know this, Romans 1, 18 through 23. But consider this question in light of Paul's statements in Romans 9, 19 through 21. And there we read, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Are we not God's handiwork? Isn't it our duty to be in submission always to the one who has made us? It is enough that God says, worship me. We who are to question God, our creator, as to why, do so. in ignorance. Yet God is gracious to us. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. In his command to worship him, he tells us how and why. 
We are to worship him in the beauty of holiness, ascribing to him glory and strength. What does it mean to ascribe to God glory and strength? Can we give God anything? Does he need strength from us? Does he need glory spoken of by us? No, he doesn't need these things, but he wants them from us. He wants us to acknowledge that he is God and we are not. We are to ascribe to him glory and strength. He is the mighty one. He is the one who governs all that exists. This is how we are to worship God. But let's answer the question, why do we worship God? I think this is explained to us in verses 3 through 9. David writes of the voice of God. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. We were privileged week before last to see the very handiwork of God in this regard. In Ireland, there are very few forests. There is one great forest in southern, the southern part of Northern Ireland. And in the place we stayed was on the edge of this forest. A great forest fire had struck that, that hillside uh, just a few years ago. And you can see where that, that fire stopped. It burned so far and then stopped where the Lord ended the flames. Likely, with a rainstorm in Ireland. There's lots of rain in Ireland. But you could see very clearly there were very low trees and then all of a sudden these tremendous trees. I didn't realize until this last trip there are giant redwoods in Ireland. We saw them in two locations. There are giant redwoods there. I thought they were only in North America. That's not the case. But God's handiwork stopped those flames. And it was right at the edge of the property line where we stayed. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. This is so instructive for us. God provides for us life. And in all his creation, he makes the deer give birth. He makes it happen. By his voice, he declares these things to come to pass. And they come to pass. And also, the Lord strips the forests bare. God's might throughout his creation is evident. God speaks and powerful and mighty things happen. All that occurs comes from the voice of God, just as in the creation. God spoke and in the space of six days, all that we see, hear, touch, taste, feel, as well as the unseen things that we declared in our confession today, all of those things came to being 
by the voice of the Lord. Likewise, all that occurs in time and space come from the voice of the Lord. Consider David's lyrics. The voice of the Lord is powerful and majestic. It commands the seas. It splinters the mighty cedars of Lebanon. He divides the flames of fire. He shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. He makes the deer give birth, and he strips the forest bare. All this happens by the mighty voice of Jehovah. And when these events occur, it is our God who is thundering from heaven. It is he who commands the seas to overflow their beaches. It is he who strips and splinters the trees with a mighty wind. And it is he who shakes the earth with quaking that demolishes cities, towns, and in history past, whole civilizations. And it is he who divides the flames of fire, some for providing heat for the cold in winter, and other flames to destroy and to judge. When we see these events around us, do we chalk them up to mere happenstance? Or do we ascribe glory and strength to the Almighty Jehovah in humble worship that he has declared these things to come to pass? I would submit to you, brethren, there is no better time to worship than when we see these things happening around us. I believe that that's what David is teaching us in the first two verses. In other words, it is high time, yes, it is high time to ascribe and give unto the Lord glory and strength, to give unto the Lord the glory due his name when we see his handiwork in all of these things. Now, there is a parenthetical statement at the end of verse 9 that I don't want to pass over. And in his temple, everyone says glory. And in his temple, everyone says glory. In other words, when they see the voice of the Lord acting out all of these things in history, what is the response of God's heavenly host? They shout out, glory! Say it with me. Glory! Say it again. Glory! That's the response of God's people. God, you've not let us alone. You are doing all these things. It's evident around us that your handiwork is being done. And yet it is catastrophic. It is cataclysmic. But you, O God, you save your people in the midst of cataclysms like the great flood. And that's where our attention is turned next at the end of the passage. Verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. (laughs) 
Verse 10 emphasizes God's enduring governance in the midst of calamity and in judgment. God is enthroned during these times and he is governing during these times. Consider that great flood for a moment. What was judgment for most men was salvation for God's chosen people. Wickedness prevailed over the earth and God was going to judge the whole earth. His voice proclaimed a great flood would come and Noah was told to build an ark to preserve the righteous in the midst of judgment against the wicked. The voice of the Lord told Noah what to do. Find shelter in the ark. And the voice of the Lord brought the great flood. God's voice gave strength to his people, Noah's covenant family, and blessed them with the peace of salvation. The writer of Hebrews and the Apostle Peter make this abundant and clear. In Hebrews eleven seven, we read, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen by the voice of the Lord, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. 1 Peter 3.20 Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And then 2 Peter 2.5 And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Brethren, what is judgment to others is often salvation for God's covenant people. When God brings judgment against the wicked, who are left? Are not the righteous? God's ways are far beyond our comprehension. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as, high as the heavens are, uh, for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are, our, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't know why hurricane after hurricane is coming. We don't know why in the midst of that the nation of Mexico suffers from a cataclysmic earthquake which is preceded by a tropical storm on their western coast. We don't know why 150 million people have been displaced in India and Bangladesh by flooding. We don't know why our brethren are dealing with flooded homes. in Houston, and likely in Florida. But it is truly within the realm of God's governance in all things to bring judgment on some while preserving others for salvation. This is not beyond his reach. It is his purpose. I believe this is what is, is happening and the calamities we are witnessing. Remember that the prophet, prophet Amos asserted, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? 
If there is a calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Indeed. And yet, in the midst of all this, the Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord will give strength to his people, the psalmist writes. What then should our response be? How should we understand these things? I think our passage tells us very plainly. Worship God in the beauty of holiness. Ascribe to him glory and praise. Acknowledge that he is governing all that comes to pass. And trust that he will provide for you his people. And those who are his people in the midst of these mighty calamities. For God will give strength to his people. And the Lord will bless his people with peace. This is the handiwork of God. Fear not. God is with you and will always be with you. And we shall never be, be plucked from his hand. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are humbled by the very notion that your handiwork is taking place around us. Help us to Look upon that not with fear and trembling, though we should be respectful of what you're doing, but to be encouraged that you are indeed doing all your holy will, that you are driving men and women to their knees in repentance when they have nothing else to trust but you. We pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be clearly proclaimed in these great places of need. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would sweep over Mexico and Cuba, Houston, Pakistan and India, the Caribbean islands, Florida, and no doubt other places that will be affected by these great calamities May the gospel of Jesus Christ goad men to confession, repentance, and faith. May we one day look back upon these calamities and say, God did a mighty work in bringing men and women to salvation by and through his mighty voice. We pray that our children would see that and our children's children would tell that tale to their generations and to generations yet to come.